0: I, uh, I think my glasses are a bit dirty this morning, so if I muck a few words up, I'm sure, I'm sure Steve will fix it up later. Wives in the same way to your own husbands, so that any, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this, the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God uh, to adorn themselves. They themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the stronger partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers
1: the second reading is from 1 corinthians chapter 7 um and it starts at verse 12 in the small print bible it's on page 794 To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean that as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? This is the word of the Lord.
2: All right, well, if you could turn back in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, that would be really good. Um, there are a couple of things I noticed from Mark's reading. You Let me pray, and then we'll uh, look at the Bible together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, all of it is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Lord, we pray that you might do those things for us. Teach us. Uh, the way to live rebuke us when we have uh, wrong thinking um, correct us train us to be the righteous people that you've made, you've called us to be father i pray that you would help me to speak truly and clearly and we pray that you'd help us to go away from here encouraged uh, and strengthened for our walk with you this week we pray it in jesus name amen well uh, marriage has been uh, on my mind quite a bit recently uh, ov- obviously, you'll be aware. Last year, there was quite a bit of to do about marriage, uh, with the same-sex marriage debate that was that was going on. But it's been uh, very much on my mind in, in uh, recent times. Uh, partly because it's my anniversary this month—28 years. Uh, it 28 years, um, uh, 28 years uh, this month. Um, and s- some of you will be aware that we've got a few marriages coming up in our congregation. Uh, not from this congregation, but from our evening congregation. Uh, so just starting to prepare people for, for weddings. We just had a couple as well, so it's, that's been on my mind as well. Um, but also last weekend, you'll be aware that we uh, had the opportunity to go away uh, for the weekend with my family. And we, were, we went away to celebrate my mum and dad's 60th wedding anniversary. Uh, which was really exciting. We had four generations of people there um, celebrating their, their lives together. And they got a, a letter from um, Paul Fletcher, the local member. They got a letter from um, ScoMo, uh, the Prime Minister. They got a letter from the Governor-General and one from the Queen. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, so it was a really exciting weekend. Um, but also, you know, I came I came back and uh, on Monday morning I went and got my hair cut. So thank you for noticing. Um and uh, while I was there waiting to uh, for my haircut, I was reading New Idea, which of course you do, and uh, I picked it up because on the front cover it said that uh, Prince Harry and Meghan are breaking up um, after just over a year uh, of being married, because uh, shocking new revelations have come to light, apparently, that um, she was attracted to another man before they started going out, and so therefore they're going to break up, which of course makes sense. Um so, so marriage has been very much on my mind. Um, I wonder, when you think about marriage, uh, where do you go to get good advice about marriage? If you were to go out into the, the, the culture, into the people around us, into our suburb, and ask that question, the very last place you would go is to the Bible. For many people, the, Bible, uh, the Bible's teaching on marriage is outdated, uh, it's misogynistic, um, it's offensive even. And today's passage, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, um, is a classy example. I mean, think about how offensive all these things are. The passage says that wives should be submissive to their husbands. Uh, Mark could even bring himself to say it. Um, that they should have a gentle and quiet spirit. They should be mousy. And... Um, they should call their husbands their lord, like Sarah did, or their master. They are described as the weaker partner. Not the stronger partner, as we had read to us, but the weaker partner. And they shouldn't go about having fancy hairdos and uh, makeup and all the rest of it. As you read those things, I don't know how you feel about them. This is one of those passages where I think a lot of Christians kind of cringe a bit they feel like, well, is this right? Um, maybe we should skip over it. In fact, the suggestion was made to me, and I won't say it was, David Pindle, um, who suggested we should actually skip over this passage uh, and just go on to the next one because really it's just a bit, a bit too embarrassing. Well, I actually think this is a really great passage for us to look at and I think what the Bible says about marriage is important for us for a number of good reasons. One of the reasons is when you look at our culture you wouldn't exactly say that our culture has it right when it comes to thinking about marriage, does it? I mean, one in every two marriages now breaks down. One in every two. Um, and so it's, quite, it's just possible that by throwing out what the Bible has said about, says about marriage, that maybe we've thrown out the very thing that makes marriage hold, to, hold together. Uh, If God, after all, invented marriage, then uh, perhaps he knows a thing or two about it. But secondly, also, um, as we talk with our non-Christian friends about, you you may have talked about them at the same-sex marriage debate and those kinds of things, um, they will bring up passages like this. They might throw them at you and go, well, look at what the Bible says. How can you believe that? And so it's helpful for us, I think, to, uh, to look at these passages, look at these difficult passages and go, what exactly is it saying and what is it not saying? And so I hope as we do that you'll find this helpful. But the other th- reason is that there are a lot of Christian marriages here in this congregation, uh, in, our, in our evening congregation, there are people who are looking to getting, to getting married. And so whether you're a married person or not, um, there are many people in our church who are married who need encouragement and support and it'd be helpful for us um, to understand what marriage is all about. And so today we're going to be looking at one passage, this is just one isolated passage, um, and trying to understand what Peter has to say. But I think it's an important one for us to look at. So let's have a look at it. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, and you'll notice that it starts like this. Wives in the same way. When it says that, what what immediately jumps to your mind when you hear wives in the same way? What what, what comes to your mind? What do you think of? So, The same way as What? So obviously Peter's been talking about something and now he says in the same way, so just like I've been talking about, wives do this. Okay? So to understand, that, to understand this passage, we actually need to look back at what's happened before it. We really actually need to go back to chapter 2, starting at verse 11. This passage is part of a section that starts there really, I think. It starts this way. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. This letter is written to Christians just like us. Christians who live in a, a pagan world, a non-Christian world. And Peter says to them, look, as you live in this world, one of, the, one of your goals is to live a good life. Live a demonstrably good life so that when people look at you, when they look at the way you live, they may do what? They might say, what a nice person you are. No. So that they might make your life easier. No. Why do we live good lives? So that they may see your good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven. So the reason we live, so Peter says the reason you could live a good life in a, in a context of a pagan world is so that people might see the way you live and glorify God. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we looked at that a couple of weeks a couple of weeks ago. Then in chapter two verse thirteen, he gives you a, gives us an illustration, an example of how we can do that. How can we live a good life in a pagan world? Well, in chapter thirteen, he gives an example. That actually goes through and I think covers over this passage. He says, "Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority." So you live in a world that's 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 a pagan world, it's not a, a, a world that's run by Christians or anything like that. He says, "In that world, submit yourselves to human authorities, to human authority structures." And so he then goes on to say, "Well, he gives us some examples." So the first one is there in verse thirteen. He says. Um, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, to governors, etc. He talks about the political rulers. They live in a world that's run by the Roman Empire. And he says, submit yourself to the pagan rulers. Then in verse 18, he gives another example of the kind of authority structure that people live under. Verse 18, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Again, they're living in a world where you might be a Christian slave, and he says, "Well, in that authority structure, you submit yourself to your master. That's what you you are to do. That's part of what it means to live a good life among the pagans." Then, in chapter three, he says, "Wives, in the same way, he's talking about living in a, wives living in a, a situation that's." an authority structure that's 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 set up in our society, our culture. Um, the home. How do you live as a godly person in the home? You see, for the first century wife, uh, it was it was the norm in the first century for women to submit to their husbands. and in particular, that include their spiritual lives. And so if your husband, uh, if the husband worshipped Zeus or whatever it might be, uh, or had certain family gods, then the wife and all of the children would, and all everyone in the household would worship that god, because the, everyone had to submit to um, to the fa- to the husband or to the father. Um, that's what it meant. But now, and so, but now, of course, these people people starting to become Christians, and when you become a Christian, you realize that you're free from the bondage of all these worthy so-called these worldly so-called gods, and so the question arises: What do you do? If you're a Christian and your husband isn't, do you do what everybody else does and just follow along with their belief? Or do you, you know, now that you're saved and they're not, does that then kind of make you the head of the household? And so that now that you can kind of tell them what to do, you can kind of try and force them to believe you, what you believe. What are they? What, what are you to do? So in that kind of context, Peter says, wives, in the same way, Submit yourselves to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. The context of this passage is actually a context of a, a Christian wife with a non-Christian husband, and what Peter was saying is saying is, rather than actually uh, kind of us- trying to usurp your husband's uh, position in the family, uh, you are to submit yourself to your husband. Uh, voluntarily, the Greek word that's used there for submit is the um, the word the word that's used for the, describing the chain of command in a, in the armed forces um, that a, a lieutenant will submit themselves to the general or whatever. That kind of idea uh, It's not a picture of slavery. Uh, it's not uh, saying that the woman should be um, the husband's slave, but not so much. But actually, that she should submit herself to her what to her husband's leadership. Um, that will look slightly different in every uh, relationship, I believe. But in the end, the, the picture that the Bible paints, I think, of a, of a, of a marriage is where the, the buck stops with the husband. Now, as I say, that will look different in each one. But why does he describe this here? Why does he talk about this? Why does he say that wives should submit to their husbands? He says it so that they might change their husbands, that they might help their, their husband to, to, be, to come to faith. The goal here is that their husband might change. Now, in our society, there are two ways, it seems, that a wife might change a husband's mind. Um, A couple of years ago, there was a movie that came out, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. You remember that movie? Classic movie. Um, And the mother is talking to, uh, I think she's talking to the daughter, about the husband, about her her husband, the the girl's father. And she says, yes, the the father is the head of the, the house, but the woman is the neck. And she can turn the head whichever way she wants. So, in her mind, the, her relationship with her kind of vision of submitting to her husband as the head is uh, to kind of manipulate him so that the head decides what she really wants. Uh, and so, either by nagging or by some kind of other manipulation, um, sorry, doesn't work, doesn't work, you know, I reckon. Uh, well, Peter says that no, that's not what we should do. That we shouldn't try and and badger wives shouldn't try and badger their husband or trying to manipulate their husband to do what they want to try and to try and uh, be the one who actually actually rules. In fact, he says you should win them over without words. Peter says it's not a, a contest of words. It's it's uh, it comes to the way to the way of life. So he says you should, they should you try to win them without words, without trying to badger them, without trying to nag them, without trying to manipulate them. But the other way that our world says that you can change someone's change your husband's mind is by the way you look. We've got a funny old world, haven't we? We live in a funny old world because uh, we've got the whole Me Too movement, which which and the uh, the empowerment of women and trying to say that yes, that women can do it for themselves and all of that kind of thing. But then at the same time we've got a constant barrage uh, from the media and from everything around us that says, what you really need, ladies, is to be to make yourself beautiful. When you stand in line at the, at the, the checkout, what do the magazines all have on the front cover? They have beautiful women, they have um, diets, they have the, the latest outfits, all those kinds of things, saying what you really need is to, is to look beautiful. When you watch a movie, um, what is it that, that turns the man's head? in the movie that makes, them, makes the man notice her. It's when she comes in slow-mo, she's done herself up, and she's got the amazing dress and all that kind of thing. That's what our world tells us. That the way you, you uh, can get a guy to sit up and take notice is you make yourself look sexy, you make yourself look beautiful because then you know, men are just like animals, they'll just follow you wherever you, you tell them to go. But Peter says, no, that is not the way that women should uh, try and uh, influence their husbands he says the way we do it is without inward beauty Um, he says when they they, when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes rather it should be that of your inner self the unfailing beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is a great worth in God's sight and again people look at that and they go well that's just ridiculous asking women to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Look around this church. How many women with gentle and quiet spirits do you know? <laughs> not that many. <laughs> They're pretty forthright, the women in this congregation, which is, which is lovely and wonderful. Peter's not saying, uh, he's not saying you're not allowed to wear beautiful clothes. You're not allowed to make yourself look beautiful. But he says the way you influence should not be with your outer appearance. The thing that you need to really work on is your inner beauty. That idea of a gentle and quiet spirit, we kind of look at it, we think, oh, that's, that's just offensive, condescending even. But that's the way Jesus was described. Uh, he was gentle and humble of heart, we he read in Matthew's Gospel. That's what Jesus was like. What Peter is saying is, ladies, you need to be like Jesus. You need to live like Jesus. And that's, that's what Peter is saying here. He's encouraging you to live such a life that when your husband sees you, they will see Jesus. Now, I know this is probably, it's probably more of a, 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 um, a temptation for women than men. I know that's generalising, but I'm sure it is. But ladies, it's worth asking yourself, how much time do you spend on your outer beauty compared to your inner beauty? We spend a lot of time... Um, at the hairdressers or at the gym or whatever ourselves trying to make ourselves look beautiful on the outside which is so passing it's so fading but what's on the inside will never fade when you become and you look like Jesus that will really make an impact that's what he's calling on women to do now he uses an example there. He, he uses the example of Sarah, and just want to say a couple of things just quickly about that, because there are a few things there that you kind of go seems a bit offensive. Verse five and six, he, he says, "Look at the holy women who put their hope in God," um, and he says they submit themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Which sounds like, ladies, you could call your husband your Lord or your master, which again sounds ridiculous in our to our ears. Um, but it's worth understanding that word there uh, where it's talking about sarah describing her husband as as lord is really just a term of expression of respect to him it's an expression of her submission to him uh it's it's in a similar kind of way that um if you ever watch pride and prejudice it's one of my favorite movies um as you know um but uh you know Elizabeth ends up with Mr Darcy. Sorry for the spoiling note if you haven't read it to the end. Um, she ends up with Mr Darcy. And once they're together, once they're married, and they, you can imagine when they go out to, uh, to public occasions, she would still call him Mr Darcy because that's an that's a, that's a, uh, expression of respect to him as her husband. Um, and Sarah would call her husband, her, Abraham, her lord. Um, it's, it's an expression of respect. So it's not saying to to you ladies that you have to call or treat your husband as if he is your master and you are his slave. That's not what the Bible is talking about here at all. Um, Rather, it's an expression of respect to him, an expression of her submission to him. The other thing that's worth noticing about that expression with Sarah uh, is that uh, he says, you are are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And it's worth understanding that verse... Too because you could use that verse to say, Well, look, if you're a lady, if you're in a relationship with a husband and you are afraid of him, then you should just suck it up. You should just learn to live with it and cope with it. That's not what Peter is saying here. He's not saying to women who are in an abusive relationship that you need to stay there, that you need to put yourself, uh, continue to keep yourself uh, in that position of fear. Uh, what he is saying, he's talking about a situation, I think, uh, where if you are a woman whose husband follows the family gods, um, the family ancestors or whatever, you don't need to be afraid of the consequences of turning your back on them. The reason you submit to your husband is not out of fear of what might happen if you don't f- from, the, from the family gods, but rather that you do it out of trust for God out of your expression of your trust for Jesus. okay. So it's not, I don't think, uh, encouraging women to live in a life of fear or to just get over their fear. Uh, That needs to be treated very differently, I believe. But it does open the door, doesn't it? It does open the door to abuse. It does open the, the, the door to domestic violence, to say to women, you should submit yourself to your husband sounds like saying well just put stick your head out in the block and say kick it it's just it's, it sounds like that's what it's asking which but again it's important to realize that when the Bible talks about marriage it doesn't just talk about women ladies this is what you need to do it always comes along with a this is what gentlemen this is what you are to do husbands this is how you are to live and so uh, in verse um, seven it starts off again husbands in the same way. He's linking it to the one before, saying you too have responsibilities because marriage is not a a one-way street. And he has two things to say to husbands that is important that they do. And it sounds, again, a a bit waffly to our ears. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate. Open the doors for them. Put your coat on the ground. Is that all it's saying? Well, the word considerate actually means... To treat them according to knowledge. In other words, what he's saying is that husbands need to know their wives. How does that happen? He says, be considerate with them as you live with them. Which is a blatantly obvious thing to say. Because when you get married, you live in the same place. Uh, You have the same address. The mail comes to the same letterbox. Um, it seems a silly thing to say, but he's not just saying live under the same roof. He's encouraging husbands to actually live there with their wives, to be present. You can perhaps imagine a scenario, I wouldn't happen in your family, I know, where the husband is there sitting watching the cricket or the football or whatever it might be, and the, husband come, the wife comes in and she's got something to say, something to ask him, and he's going, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever, excuse me, I'm, just, uh, I'm busy here. A number of husbands come home from work and they they go straight to their study. And so, yes, they live under the same roof, but they're not together. They don't live together. Uh, A study was done recently, a survey was done, uh, that revealed that the average husband and wife spend 37 minutes a week in actual communication with one another. 37 minutes a week. That is not how it should be for us. And men... This is one of our big failings. We get so distracted. We we have things on our mind that we don't put our wives first. And Peter says we need to consider our wives. We need to treat them according to the knowledge we gain of them. We need to gain knowledge of them. We need to know what makes them tick, the things that they love, the things that they don't love, the things that frustrate them. We need to know... Uh, what makes them happy, and act accordingly. If something is frustrating to them, we need to stop doing it. Not just saying, well, they, they just got to put up with it. That's what i like. We need to put ourselves out. That's what it means to be considerate. So husbands, you need to be considerate, but also, uh, he says, we need to, to be respectful. When they, um, In 2nd verse 7, this is another thing that really offends you to people. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And again, it was interesting to me that Mark read it as the stronger partner. Uh, maybe he was making a statement, I don't know. Uh, but Peter means what he says. Treat them as the weak, uh, Treat them with respect as the, the weak, weaker partner. The word respect there actually means to honour, to lift up. And when he's, when he's talking about a weaker partner, he's not talking about value. He's talking about the reality that in most relationships the husband is the stronger physically but certainly in their culture he was the stronger socially for a woman she was totally vulnerable she was at the mercy of her husband or her father whichever household she happened to be in and there's a temptation when somebody is vulnerable to exploit them and to use them for your own ends but Peter says no that is not what we're to be husbands a Christian husbands to be like A Christian husband is someone who lifts up the partner, who doesn't exploit the weaknesses, but supports in the weaknesses, whether it's a physical weakness or an emotional weakness or a spiritual weakness, whatever it is. Husbands, our goal, our our task is to lift up our wives, to hold them as precious, never to take advantage of our wife, never to use our physicality or emotional power to hit or push or grab or strain or threaten. A Christian husband must never do those things. We must never use our size or our strength to harm our wives, to belittle our wives. We must always honour them, treat them as precious, esteem them, appreciate them, lavish them with praise Express great gratefulness, appreciation. Speak honestly, respectfully, lovingly. That is what a Christian husband does. And there is a warning here for for Christian husbands, lest so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is not saying push the wife out of the way because you've got the serious business of praying to do. Um, no, it's more, I think, picking up the idea that you see with Israel in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, as Israel turn their back on God and they start following other gods, they then come back and they offer their sacrifices and wonder why God doesn't answer their prayers. They they offer their sacrifices and they well God, what's going on? God says to obey is better than sacrifice. I want a heart of obedience. And when you get your act together, then I'll listen. And so it is with us husbands, I think. If we refuse uh, if we cannot honour and respect our wives and lift them up, uh, well, why would we expect God to listen to our prayers? A final thing, a f- final couple of things to say. I, just, I want to reiterate, it in case it hasn't come out clearly enough, that this passage must never be used, must never be used as a justification to demand that women stay in an abusive relationship or that it, an abusive Uh, relationship is appropriate in a Christian household there is no justification for that whatsoever Peter's point is that a woman's submission to her husband is free it's freely given and a husband will actually respond will actually live a life that that seeks to bring her up because that's really where the world gets marriage wrong I think you see our world tells us that marriage is about me that my marriage is about how you make me feel. You completely, says, uh, what's the name? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. You complete me. That's, that's kind of the romantic goal. You complete me. And if you ever stop completing me, well, then I'll find someone else who completes me better. And that's, that's, that's how our, our culture works. Because the focus is on me. But the Bible's picture of marriage is totally different. It's totally the opposite way around. The marriage is not about me, it's about you. It's about my service of you. And so for wives, that will mean submitting yourselves, being prepared to give up your rights for the good of the husband. And men, it will mean you giving up your rights, lifting up the wife so that she is honoured, not you, but so that she is honoured. It's about the other person. So instead of having relationships where both people are trying to take for themselves, a Christian marriage is a picture of two people giving to each other, consistently giving. And it's interesting that this passage comes straight after, at the end of chapter 2, Peter talking about Jesus. He's used, in some ways, this picture of Jesus as a bridge uh, between chapter 2 and chapter 3. He's talked about the slaves submitting to their masters but then he says Look, think about Jesus who gave himself he didn't use the power that was his although he's the Lord of the universe and he could have he gave up his power he submitted himself to his father he submitted himself to the Roman authorities even unto death for our good in the same way wives in the same way husbands Give of yourselves. Marriage is not about what you can get. And if you want to live good lives among the pagans, this is one of the most important ways that we can do this, that our marriages can be a model for the world. Don't follow the way of the world. Follow God's way. Live a, live a married life of submission and honour to each other. Let me pray. <coughs> Dearly Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your great wisdom uh, in all things, but particularly in, the fa- in our families. Father, we pray that you would teach us what it means to submit uh, to, uh, to each other, to give to each other. We pray for Christian marriages. Father, pr- please protect them. Protect them from the devil. Protect them from the world. Protect them from temptation. Protect them from selfishness and greed. Protect them from abuse and harm. Lord, I ask that you help each of the marriages here to be godly examples in a dark and fallen world so that people might see our good deeds and glorify God uh, who is in heaven. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.